0: And welcome back to Back to the Books, your favourite bookish podcast with your, not co-host, host, host, I Can't Talk Isabel, but you're here today with me, Kieran Sanger, and my lovely friend and colleague and podcast extraordinaire, Isabel Flynn. Hello, Isabel. How are we? Hi,
1: that's a lot to live up to. I'm a podcaster extraordinaire on your favourite book podcast.
0: That's very presumptuous. I'm being very biased this evening. What can I say? (laughs)
1: Maybe these people have listened to Mostly Lit and are really sad it stopped. Anyway.
0: (laughs) Well, we're going to knock all of them out of the water. Yeah. But yes, how are we, Isabel? We all good?
1: Yeah, no, doing really well, thank you. Really excited to be here and to talk about the book that we've both picked. Lads, we read the same book and we're just going to talk about that book.
0: It took two and a half years, but we didn't. (laughs)
1: Like what professional book co- book podcast people do. They read a book and talk about it together rather than just recommend shit the other person will never read. Oh, Back and chills. forth
0: for nine months. It's great. But look, <laughs> we're, you know, somewhat uh, retaining a semblance of professionalism today or this evening, I should <laughs> say. Um I'm really excited because we are deep diving into... Monica Heisey is really good, actually, which came out uh, a few weeks ago from Fourth Estate here in the UK, and uh, is the story of Maggie, who has just got divorced, is going through a divorce, I should say, um, but she claims she's really good, actually. She's fine. She's not going through any turmoil or troubles. You know, she's not stalking her ex on Instagram or the cat's Instagram. She's not ordering late night pizza. Um, She's not Googling random shit at 3am. She's doing absolutely fine. But is she? Is she? Um, I stumbled upon this late last year. Uh, I got sent a proof. Um, And what kind of sucked me in was that she is Monica Heisey is uh was sorry a screenwriter for Shits Creek and that immediately was my kind of say no more I'm in I love Shits Creek I thought it was really really funny and fresh and wonderful um I can't remember when did I recommend it to you uh
1: long enough ago for me to be embarrassed to admit that it's taken me this long to get to it actually um but it's okay because it has only just come out in in the UK hasn't it so I think we're we're all right we're kind of mm. We're trailing just behind publication date, like a couple of little ducklings. Um, we <laughs> weren't too, yeah, We were not too far behind. But yeah, no. I, um, I, I. The second you started recommending it to me, I knew that I would really love it because it's exactly the kind of chaotic nonsense that I really like. But I also feel like it it looks at and deals with some kind of modern uh, modern conditions of humanity that I find particularly intriguing and slightly despairing of. Um. So,
0: yeah. No. I like that. Uh, I mean, we, we you just took a deep dive right in there. Um, so I feel like that's a good way to start off. Um, I take it from that you enjoyed it as much as I did.
1: Yeah. And I think I think now is the moment where we need to make the obvious joke. I thought it was really good. Pretty good, actually. Yeah, really
0: good, actually. actually. Yeah, <laughs> really good, actually. Um, I feel like that's just going to be in bookshops up and down the country and the booksellers are just going to, sort of, you know, twinge a little bit and go yeah yeah it is ha, ha, i've not had yeah. that one before oh, fucking hell. Buck-
1: buckle up book fans that one's going to be ground into your face um yeah no i i really enjoyed it like i said i thought i actually have a sort of um a th- not a theory really but a thought on the book that i'd like to kind of post to you and i haven't said this to you yet
0: um yes you mentioned yeah. this when i saw you uh, a few weeks ago and you said no, yes. we, we, i'm going to save it for the podcast so yes do enlighten
1: Yeah. So this thought I had, first of all, just a little way in, um, which is why it was a while ago that I told you about it, but it's, um, I I first got the idea when I was watching, sorry, when I was reading a little segment between the chapters, which is just lists of her Google searches um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they get progressively more unhinged, but they also get, they're also deeply relatable. Like there's a really sort of late night one where she's Googling um, lovely recipes, uh, risotto recipes, uh, uh, substitute for risotto rice, hmm. parmesan cheese out of date smell, late night burger delivery, and um, yeah. and and my kind of theory that I think has been sort of um has has built and built as I've read it is that this is ultimately the the modern day Bridget Jones's Diary, mm. and the reason that I would like to kind of pose that as my kind of thesis, you know, in this essay I will is that um, Bridget Jones's Diary's kind of main feature is the diary, right? So she records like mm. her weight and her boyfriends and the cigarettes she smoked. Um, and obviously that's of its time, Um, you know, we've moved on a little bit now. So we're recording other things like our descents into madness, but it's mm. more specifically about how the diary, Bridget Jones's diary is a private thing. Um, mm. And a lot of the time it is something that um, that she keeps hidden. And I've only seen the movie, but I know that when Colin Firth finds it, she's, she's mortified. Um, and so you know it's this idea that this is all very personal and private whereas this person is having their attempts to kind of build their life back up and like avoid mental breakdown very much in public and Mm. so i feel like us being able to see her google searches is one thing but there's also a lot about her overshare things like her oversharing on twitter and the Mm. idea that now you know we all have our kind of bridget jones's moments but now we seem to always like compulsively make them public facing and that's why Mm. i feel like this in particular the way that it dives into um sort of trying to have these public personas that often make us look more like less put together and more unhinged than we actually are and it that kind of makes it the modern day bridget jones and i don't know what you think about that
0: i think that's absolutely brilliant um i mean how did i not think that because when you think about it it's so obvious that's what it is because it hits those same beats but in a really modern, unique, fresh way, and I think yeah. you get an insight into her character probably the most through those Google yeah. lists, because it starts off being funny and relatable, like you say, you go oh my god, yeah, I've Googled the weirdest shit at 3am <laughs> and then as the book goes on there is a sadness in those lists, because you really? you start to see actually how she's feeling, rather than through the yeah. prose or the kind of, the Regular sections of the book, it's in those lists that I think reveal the most truth. Um, and it's interesting as well because it's not written in the sort of diary epistolary form, but those Google lists almost do take the form of the diary because you go through that journey exactly. of like the start yes. of the, the Googling and the ending of the Googling, which in itself could be like a, a day. Because think of all the shit you Google in a normal day i don't want to i don't want to
1: face <laughs> that thank you
0: <laughs> well, no moving on thank you cut next um but <laughs> you know but it's it's very telling of our characteristics in our day-to-day life and yeah i i agree with you 100 there i think you're so on the money um and it has that cinematic quality to it like you could see this play out on a show for streaming or in a film um but it, it just feels really like up to date and kind of re-energized for an audience of today.
1: Yeah, definitely. And also I think um, in terms of the, and obviously, you know, we can discuss it apart from Bridget Jones, but one thing I also um, noticed was the, the difference in the kind of values. So one of my favorite things about this book is that the protagonist is like a plus size lady, like a chubby mm-hmm. lady, and as a lady of a certain softness, it's very, very nice to see myself like, you know, you know, when you're like, oh, representation, like, yes, but also mm. um, it was I was like, oh, OK, yeah, no, I, I do get it. This is very, very nice. Um, just to see, you know, somebody who looks like me out and about in a way that's not automatically um, related to kind of dieting and things. And yeah. I, I found it really interesting that obviously Bridget Jones is specifically like, I need to have a boyfriend. I need to quit smoking. I mm. need to lose, lose weight, weight, even though I'm already even though, you know, in the film, Renee Zellweger is like a size eight. God, that was a bad time for all of us. Um, and, uh, you know, God. just this specific, like, very 90s, um mm. priorities that just don't exist anymore now, you know. Mm. Uh, yes, like, you know, I think a lot of us still have, like, body issues and, like, needs to, um, you know, want boyfriends, companionship, whatever. But we also then have to contend with, like, yes, but also, is this feminist? Is this, mm. you know socially aware am I being progressive by shamelessly chasing this person who clearly doesn't want anything to do with me like am I somehow hurting a cause if I like joined a gym and so I think it it was really interesting to see the same issues play out but with the kind of new tangle that we have of how every tiny action we make also plays into like a wider social theory or you know um some sort of so whether we're all trying to yank ourselves towards some kind of utopia through our everyday actions um And I did really like that the, um, it kind of shows that, but at the same time it also very much shows how silly that all is and that, you know, Mm. we're all just stupid little people and maybe we should all just try and be nice,
0: you know. Yeah, I think you're, you're so right. I think it takes those tropes because I think when you're reading it, you kind of expect Maggie to, she meets a new guy and they kind of have this chemistry and there's that will they won't they and you kind of think okay i know what's going to happen here yeah and i think the fact that uh the author subverts you know giving you that kind of always has that edge over you of you think you know what you're going to read or you think you know what's going to happen but actually that is a sign of a time that we're moving on from not to say yeah. that it can never happen in t- today's times it can but it's not reflective of everyone and i think it also ties into the idea of like happy endings and like good endings that you yes know, definitely she's divorced she's going through a bad time but it's fine because she'll probably end up with a new man and married again and it's like well actually maybe she's going to be by herself and that's absolutely fine And she, you know and that's still a happy ending um whereas you know i feel like maybe in the bridget jones era if she stayed single after being divorced and it all went through it would be considered like a bad ending or an unsatisfying ending
1: yeah yeah definitely i think yeah there's there's much more expectation a narratively speaking as an author to do something more interesting but i also think there's understanding from us as readers and just people living in the world that you know the the romance arc is lovely but it's also just not reflective of how people live their lives and and, and their experiences so yeah I agree I think you're right the um obviously we're not going to completely spoil the ending but it's much more complicated than you know a lady gets you know has a bad time in love meets a new person and it's all great again after a couple of trials and tribulations um Mm -hmm. and then opens a sweet little chocolate shop It, it 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 does a really good job, I think, of exploring the messiness of mm. trying to like create a life for yourself when you're not really sure where you're going. Um yeah. you know, in a way that's still quite satisfying to read. You know, I, I didn't feel there are these moments where um the character's sort of just floating about in her flat, not sure what to do, because mm. her husband's gone and the cat's gone and everything belonged to him. So like what, what am I doing? Um and there were moments where I was kind of like, oh, this lady really needs really need to leave the house. Um, but that's that's completely relatable. You know, we've all been there. Let's face it. Yeah. And some of us and, more often than others.
0: Yeah, I've been there. Believe me. <laughs> before the pandemic, when we were forced to do it. Before. <laughs> before. God damn it. Um, yeah, I, I think it really showcases also that Russian urgency of young people a lot of our generation that maybe like rush into marriage because you know society expects yeah. you to be married and have your own place and you know you get you happy ever after but I just love this idea of it completely falls apart when you're 28, 29. And yeah. um, it's like you have to press reset. And the thought of doing that is utterly terrifying because society sees you as a failure because you've kind of gone through what is expected of you and you've almost done it wrong yeah you you've
1: you've fallen you've fallen at like the first hurdle you haven't even made it to like your middle age when you suddenly turn around and you're like wait I don't like you anymore
0: (laughs) yeah exactly um and I, I just I love that idea I think it's really fascinating and I think it's telling to of a generation who don't want to fall down that but like that trap of like I have to get married I have to do this I have to do that it's like I can just do what I want and be happy I can be seeing someone and be in a long-term committed relationship but it doesn't mean we have to get married like we can yeah. just we can float in the flat together and that's cool yeah yeah <laughs> we don't oh. have to get a bit of paper or a, you know a quick shotgun wedding to prove anything more it just that's why i love it it feels so modern and fresh as like a love story because i don't know if you saw this but there was like an article somewhere that said basically this year apparently is going to be the year for like romance books they're, yeah they're back yeah. and i really like this because we've started the year and it's kind of skewering that trope a little bit yeah um, yeah, sure. Because it, you read into it thinking, yeah, romance, because she meets someone. But I don't think it's a, If anything, it's actually more of a romance. Maggie's romance with herself. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a term.
1: It's a term I want to coin called non-rom com, which is yeah. like it's a non-romantic comedy about like. A woman's life um you know and there's obviously relationship stuff in there because there's relationship stuff with all of us but yeah mm. I think um and, and and you know we're not we're not dunking on romance romance is great and you know not if, it, if it brings you joy and it's a lovely thing to read then that's absolutely cool and fine and um, you know I, I work at a publisher that publishes a lot of romance and it's great to see the joy that people that it brings people but I absolutely. do think there's room for presenting um oh. just presenting like different kinds of lives and relationships and you know it's mm. it's it's all fun, and I think it can all sit together very comfortably because you know the readers of romance also know that you know being swept off your feet by the cute man who works at the vets when you've gone to the Cotswolds because you know your marriage blew up um, isn't necessarily going to happen. Maybe mm. who am I to judge? Um, but it's you know I think we can all appreciate them all as as different ways of looking at love and relationships and kind of how yeah. we all move through the world together.
0: Mm, completely. Um, and speaking of like comedy, good God, this book is funny. It like, is so funny. I actually gave myself a stitch from laughing, <laughs> and that I have not done that with a book. I actually can't remember the last time I laughed that much at a book, and it was quite <laughs> early on when uh, she talks about rimming her husband. I was, <laughs> I was. I think I actually texted you saying I'm in, <laughs> like I'm. Yeah, funny. you were like. <laughs>
1: An interesting choice of words, but yes,
0: yes. you're like sold. <laughs> Phrasing. I, I think it was just the kind of, and then she mentions it. I think she takes her new beau to meet her friends at this bar and they're all talking. And I think she mentions like, oh God, he, he won't let me rim him or something. And they're like, maybe keep that to yourself. Yes. Not, there is her. no reason that this yeah. needs to be something I know. <laughs> but that awareness, because she's clearly not coping. So she's... Yeah. Like again, you said about the public persona, kind of putting yourself out there online and stuff with no self awareness. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was really interesting, and again, an indicament of kind of how she really is feeling. But oh my god, so funny! So funny. And... I think one of
1: I think my my first line that I really giggled at was um, it goes something along the lines of I was trying really hard to let the soft animal of my body love what it loved, even if what it loved was potatoes. And you know, <laughs> and you're like, this is amazing. But also there are three camps of people here. There are the people who have read that line and gone, ah, the fun internet thing. Oh, cute. There are people who don't know that it's an internet thing, but do like Mary Oliver, have read it and gone, oh, what an interesting Mary Oliver reference. Okay, I, mm. I like that. That's cool. And then there are the other people who neither know it as an internet reference or as a Mary Oliver, po- who were just completely bewildered. <laughs> like, what the fuck do you mean soft animal? What are you talking about? Um, and yeah, it just, it brought me a lot of joy.
0: And that kind of fusing of different references, um, yeah definitely almost like as a little easter egg to those like different camps of people like you say yeah as a little it's a, it's know, a proper wakery. like
1: yeah it's proper like internet publishing girlie's book a little bit you know if you it's it's a proper like book lover's book um, just because of the sort of person she is and the people that you know she's come across and read at, at uni or or in her own, own life and you're kind of they're like but I, I don't think that that's necessarily needed to enjoy I think it's great on, on all fronts
0: oh completely and There's so many moments I loved Out Loud, um, and it's fun watching people read it on the tube because you think, which bit have you got to? Um, Another (laughs) moment that I absolutely loved is when she talks about uh, a dream she had involving Harry Styles.
1: Yes, that's definitely (laughs) gone around the internet a little bit, hasn't it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I won't spoil it because it's perfect. It's absolutely (laughs) perfect. Um, But I really like the sentimental... touching moments as well like yeah. the moment when she sees her now ex-husband on the bus with the cat and it's that crushing moment of reality like and it all hits at once and it, it's really moving kind of when she watches the bus go by and he kind of looks and he's not sure how to feel like he looks a bit sad and confused you know there's no hostility or anger there it's just a moment of two people going we got it wrong um, yeah and like oh. you know no no
1: hard feelings we had a go and it, it didn't work out and yeah, yeah definitely it, it does take um it takes I think a very sympathetic look at people who sort of um you know I, I think there's a there is a lot of media again maybe slightly older media that looks at kind of failing marriages or like oh the husband and wife hate each other and that's like a whole trope um whereas I think this this book does a really good job of just being quite gentle about how yeah, yeah relationships are sometimes difficult and people aren't always compatible even though they want to be um mm. and and allowing that you know that you can you can love people and it just not work out you know it doesn't have doesn't have to be like a big bad ex-boyfriend it doesn't have to be a horrible employee a complete explosion it can just be this quiet failure um mm. and actually I think that that for the character at least that hits harder because I think for a lot of people the idea that you know the marriage or relationship broke up because the partner was terrible. They they cheated. Yeah. They they you know were were abusive in some way. They were a, you know just a nightmare person. And to be able to switch them into being a bad person mm. is a lot easier than feeling like you know somebody that you loved and you failed at being together. Um, mm. And I think that um, there are there are scenes where you can kind of feel the the protagonist trying to kind of edge her ex husband yeah. um, <laughs> trying it's to kind of move her ex yeah <laughs> trying to kind of mentally move her ex husband into the a box where he's a bad person because it's yeah. easy for her to deal with but the reality yeah. is
0: it just is not
1: you know like people are complicated and it didn't work out and yeah i, yeah. I definitely agree i think that that's that's something that for, for all the fun and silliness and chaos in the book um uh monica Heise never loses sight of that and i think that was really no. nice
0: And I think it's an important thread that's woven throughout um, that you don't get lost and caught up with the silliness and the humorous moments and the little vignettes of her losing it a little bit. Um, Because at times she's not entirely likeable. You kind of scream to yourself, oh my God, what are you doing? Like the moment where I think she's just hypothesising about what she could do to win him back. And she's like, well, I've got keys. I could just you know go into his apartment leave loads of roses because that's fine you know I, I can do that I, I'm allowed to do that and you think oh honey no like no yeah, no no just, no like, like
1: not quite registering the horror on the people on the faces of the people she's talking to it's like no, yeah this is this is romance it's lovely yeah
0: exactly yeah. but again taps into that and it's never played I think for laughs of she's crazy ha ha isn't that funny yeah. I think it's more like Oh, like you're just you you're not dealing with this because it's, just, yeah. it's easier like you say to put him into a box of he's a bad person i'm a good person isn't it romantic um it's yeah it's just kind of like you just need to sit and comp- compartmentalize things yeah
1: it's it's and um as we kind of go through the novel there is a lot of her trying new things and sort of basically almost trying to kind of um hashtag instagram life hack her way mm out of being sad and being mm. divorced and basically grieving her relationship and you know that's kind of funny and it works for a little while and then you do start to notice like this is all really like none of this is dealing with what you want it to deal with you are just sad and like doing things um, mm. and <laughs> there's, there's a really funny thing and I can't remember it completely so apologies for that but um, when she starts trying to get into hobbies and she's like when adults get into hobbies it is just them trying to distract themselves from the fact that they're sad Um, and she tries rock climbing I think and she goes and she's like oh great you know there are people my age here Mm. and the people that are her age are the daughters of a middle-aged woman who's just gotten divorced and is (laughs) and is getting back out there and like living her best life and she's like oh my god I'm so much older than I need to be um yeah so I I loved that that made me laugh a lot
0: oh so and you you do feel for her and like you know there's this Sicily bond between her and I think it's Amy who kind of bond because Amy is also divorced I believe Um, and again she kind of treats Amy a little bit difficultly at times and but again their their closeness of you know it's okay we've you know we're muddling through and because Amy's presented at first to be like a bit of an annoying character like a bit of a rebuttal against Maggie and I think you're very much in Maggie's shoes of oh god isn't she irritating but again, once that veil is lifted, you kind of, you really get to, you know, be in her shoes. Of more people probably are going through this, and it's just not talked about. Um, yeah, definitely. Especially like, you know, think- when you think about our maybe like our parents or our friends' parents of that generation of like who maybe got married and stayed married for a long time, even if they weren't happy. Oh, or like my parents who got divorced quite early on in their their marriage but it was never a it was, it was more of like a, a war or a battle like their x their y like throwing labels at each other trying to almost pin something on it as to that was the reason why it didn't work out rather than just admitting that sometimes you can fall out of love with each other and that's absolutely fine
1: yeah definitely I thought as well speaking of Amy um that the friends were all really fun. And um, so there's mm. there's also this kind of thing about obviously when it first happens when she first like separates from her husband her friends rally and it's lovely and they all come together and they're all there for her all of the time. And then as the book progresses you sense that they're getting quite a bit of like caregiver fatigue a little bit. You know they're sort of like mm. we get it you're sad. I actually have work and like my own things. <laughs> um and it's there's, very, there's um, a character of the who um, bridges,
0: isn't it? Like oh, yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's, um, there's a character who sort of um, has a sort of casual thing with her boyfriend that suddenly becomes much more serious and she starts to try and hide it to basically stop Maggie finding out and getting and getting upset. And it and it's, dr- drives wedges between the friend group because they find her frustrating, but Maggie sort of finds them like not enough. She knows she's being annoying, but she just she can't stop herself um, because she's having all these sort of weird compulsions to try and basically deal with her feelings. Um, and I, I thought it was really interesting to see how the friendship group is affected by these people being at such different places in their lives. I mean, you know, people our age do not expect to have a divorced person, uh, you know, despite the fact that I actually know two people um, about my age who are divorced. Um, oh,
0: really? Oh.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, but you just don't expect it. And, no, they, um, no. you know, generally speaking, most people feel that they are on a roughly the same trajectory as their peers. Um, yeah. And so for somebody to sort of skyrocket in front and then kind of feel like they're behind again because they're sort of they got they they, they jumped ahead to divorce and now they've sort of wandered back to single and <laughs> trying to kind of rebuild their life and work out what they're going um, to do. To
0: go on the monopoly board. Yeah,
1: exactly right. And uh, like, oh, I guess we'll be the dog this time. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, I thought that that was interesting, and I, I I found a lot of it very funny, but also very sad because mm. I feel like that's a difficult thing to feel, and I've, I've kind of been there, feeling like your peers are doing things that are like pinning down their lives with meaning and you're sort of floating above going this is nice
0: yeah anyway (laughs) there is this sense of like like you say kind of you have to start all over again but also being left behind because you're watching your friends kind of move on with their lives and they're they're ticking back off the list of society's expectations for you um and because she almost jumped the queue really And, you know, now she's been pushed all the way back. Yeah. And they're all getting into the club without her.
1: Yeah, she's done a full circuit.
0: Yeah, she's like, hey, like, why do I have to do this all over again? But I think it's it's sad because sometimes I've maybe felt the same of, like, watching Friends, you know, tick things off the list of, like, house buying, getting engaged, you know, when I was a lot younger. When, you know, everyone thinks that maybe when they're in their – late 20s they'll be married with a house and yeah. then you get to that age and you go that's not gonna happen yes
1: yeah i i very i have a really clear memory of once when i was very young holding my mum's hand and going you know i feel like if i don't get married by 25 and if i don't have children by 25 i probably just won't bother and you're like i mean <laughs> oh, <Young> Isabel, <laughs> i
0: mean i think i agree with young is to be honest <laughs> like well <laughs> 25's been gone my opinion still hasn't changed
1: <laughs> 25 it's a, a small dot in the distance now
0: <laughs> yeah exactly um but I also like that as well because it encompasses this feeling of like yeah maybe the, people are just going to be ahead of you and want different things but like you're all on different paths and you know sometimes you'll slide back down and have to climb up the ladder again but you know, everyone's doing it differently. No one's expecting you to compete with anyone else. I think that's another thing as well, kind of this idea of competition, because she had what so many of her friends are now getting.
1: Yeah, she, definitely. And, she felt ahead.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I don't think she ever used it as like leverage or like a one-upmanship. I think it was
1: friends. more of a I think it was more of a safety thing. Like she felt like, yeah, okay, this yeah. big decision and this big like thing people have to do. Is done now, and she kind of expected it to be a smoothing element on the rest of her yeah. life. Like, if I'm married, mm-hmm. it's going to be easier to do all of these other things because I'm not also thinking about like trying to have a long-term relationship and and you know have a, a sort of life pairing. Like she's an albatross, you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, completely. And it's you know when you think about like adults at dinner parties of like being married, it's an immediate starting point. Yeah, so that like, springboard off and that safety net and springboard is gone and she's just diving into a pool of ah <laughs>
1: hello it's just me again yeah
0: <laughs> help me please um oh god i just love this book um yeah, same. i think she's such a good writer um and like hits you in the feels and makes you laugh um and really writes something that i think sticks with you and also is reflective of like the times we live in in terms of like young people dating, getting into relationships, figuring out what they want to do with their life and also being like, hey, it's okay if you kind of mess up. We've all yeah, been there. Totally.
1: I also really liked um, the, there's just a little nod to the way that I think our generation specifically has a really bad habit of kind of overanalyzing themselves and trying to like mm. find ways in which they can categorize like, you know, the howling the howling panic and fear of being a person is completely mm. universal. But depending mm. on your background, who you are, who you speak to, where you come from, there are a million kind of labels you can give it. And I yeah. think that, you know, there's there's a really bad habit, I think, of people who are roughly our age of like watching their feelings and watching their thoughts and trying to work out what they mean and like what it mm. says about them as opposed to just experiencing them and then, you know, living their lives outside. And maybe that's kind of a like half an internet thing and half a like, endless connectivity thing I don't know um but yeah I, I thought that it was that there are moments and I think particularly towards the end where things are getting really kind of quite a, a bit of a mess for her um where you see that sort of bumping up against you know I don't have to actually do anything if I can decide that this is just a problem with me or I don't have mm. to um, I don't have to take steps to improve something if you know if, if I can you know it, it worked the idea that it works more as a hurdle for her. And allows her a kind of safety blanket than mm. you know the raw screeching horror of actually having to live your life
0: yeah um it's kind of taking that assertive nature with yourself and i suppose it's kind of reworking your confidence isn't it because yeah i guess when you get married and you're living with your partner it you do get a bit more confident because you're like i've done this now and then when that confidence is Yanked away, you, I guess, would become so much more insecure and yeah, trying to like build yourself up again, not only to like your friends, but like also yourself, like your sense of self. Because it's the idea of like Maggie. I I never saw Maggie as like she found like her and her husband were like, you know, he's part of me you know, the idea of, like, couples that become, like, synonymous with each other. and they like The two-headed identity. monsters, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I never felt it was that. I always felt Maggie had her own identity. Yeah, I know totally. it's not kind of, like, in the sort of divorced status, Um but I, I never kind of saw her being that character.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, and I think. But at the same time, I do think that it's, it's interesting that, you know, she probably isn't a character that we would be synonymous with someone who wanted to get married early, you know, nothing mm. about her background or her kind of social demographic I guess um, makes you think like oh yeah she's, she'll be married early um, but I yeah. guess it's, it's still that yeah the, the universal needs to feel like you know Ma- Maggie's trying to label herself as I am someone that somebody loved enough to marry mm. and then suddenly they're like oh where did they go <laughs> they don't love me anymore and um, mm. You Know and, and I think that that is really difficult and, and, a, and a horrible thing to have to face down. Um, yeah,
0: but I mean, overall, I'd say it was really good actually. Just to, yeah, you know, really good. Actually, that joke one more time, <laughs> just really the force readers, it in there. Just get it yeah, in there. Phrasing, um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> we can't help ourselves. Um, but yeah, I thought it was just. Brilliant, and I'm really glad we finally got to talk about a book that we actually read. Both yeah. of us. So, for um,
1: context, if you've been following this, going
0: man, they have not
1: planned this. No, we didn't. We've just sat down and been like, "Hey, let's let's try and have an actual let's have a coffee shop coffee shop chat about this," as opposed to like often we have notes or we've kind of like yeah. worked things, what, what, what we we're going to say beforehand. I think we enjoyed this so much, and we felt like it would it would benefit from a more organic uh, very organic back and forth. And forth. Yeah. Um,
0: um and I hope that it worked but I'd also want to ask you because it wouldn't be a back to the books episode without um some recommendations I'd love to know a book that you read recently that you would like to recommend to moi
1: I'll tell you what I mean this is something a bit out there um but honestly I absolutely adored it so this book is called an everlasting meal by Tamar Adler
0: I saw this on your Instagram and I was really intrigued. So please tell me more.
1: Yeah, so I mean if you want a little like teaser, you can go on my Instagram at Izzy M S is not Z, um <laughs> and, and have a look at some beautifully written passages. So it's
0: a nice book plug, about... by the way.
1: Thanks. Um so it's a book about food, sort of. It I mean it's about food, but it's not a cookbook and it's not like a food memoir, like I guess like Stanley Tucci's taste or whatever. It's the the subtitle is better than anything I could come up with it, which is "Cooking with Economy and Grace," and it's essentially a kind of psalm to a very um, a very comfortable and sustainable way of cooking food. And it's not very prescriptive. Like there are recipes, but it's literally like here's my recipe for a two for like a three ingredient tart dough. here's you know here's my favorite thing to do with an egg and
0: so um, how's it written is it kind of in like list form or
1: it kind of goes chapter by chapter and i'm gonna oh man i've forgotten what it's called so there's there's an older cookery book um that is very 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 famous um and she has essentially taken each of those chapters Mm. um and expanded on them and created uh, something a bit different with them. So the chapters the, the first chapter is called How to Boil Water, to give you an idea. Um mm. <laughs> the second one I think is called How to Teach an Egg to Fly. And it's the cutest thing ever because that. it's basically like eggs want to be made really nicely. And she kind of has this essentially it's sort of going through ideas about food. So things like um, you know, boiling, using vegetables, seasonal eating, and and she just writes about it in the most loving way, in in the way that you would mm. talk about like your grandma's cooking um mm. in a way that's very reverential. Um mm. but at the same time really familiar. So you know she's not like, oh, you must do your pastry exactly like this. Her 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 stuff is basically here's the ingredients, here's some instructions, just fucking bang it together. I'm sure it will be tasty. I trust you. Wow. Um, but she, yeah, she she basically goes through and just talks about how she cooks and preps food. And and the title an everlasting meal comes from um the idea that when you cook, the best way to cook is to cook in a way that um, means that the sort of end bits of your meal, the leavings, whether it's like leftover veggies mm. or it's, um, you know, uh, the the sort of the soupy stuff. Once you finish making a pasta sauce, yeah. basically scrape it into some Tupperware, chuck it in the fridge. That's going to be the start of your next meal. Um, so, you know, you can mm. then, you know, you've made a pasta sauce. Cool. That's going to be, you know, a, a tart filling with veggies in the next one. And then from that, oh, you've got, um, you know, you've got leftover veggies that didn't make it into that. Cool. That's the start of your soup for the next day. Um, And kind of just, yeah. And and, yeah, making it really, uh, making it really sustainable. And she has the most, oh my goodness, the bits, so I've underlined all of this book, um, but she talks about seasonal eating in the most cool way. You know, you're like, I've never wanted to get butternut squash so much. (laughs) Because it's like because like it is the season. Um, mm. I mean, I don't think it actually is. I've kind of i I didn't really <laughs> I didn't really intake that. I so, mean, there's always
0: it. time for butternut squash if you really yeah. want it. I guess.
1: But yeah, so she'll be like, here's um, here's a great recipe for. Here's how I do pasta. Here's how I prep pasta. And then she's like, in the summer, dice up. Well, she she says zucchini, uh, but you know, dice up courgette, zucchini, whatever, and toss it with a little bit of mint. Put that in in autumn um you know take a butternut squash take these different kinds of you know seasonal autumn vegetables you know um roast them and blend them and then that's your sauce and then in winter you know things like broccoli and lots and lots of like sturdy greens and genuinely it's the most lovely book and it made me just want to be more loving with the way that I cook and the way that I eat Mm -hmm. as opposed to just What's in the fridge? Oh, God, nothing. Oh, no, I have to go to the stupid supermarket again. Why am I always at the supermarket? Why do I always buy food and I never have food left over? It's
0: your favourite <laughs> place, don't lie. Oh,
1: I always feel so self-conscious when I'm walking around like the supermarket and the people there are like, you again, hey? And I'm like, I was in here this afternoon. I forgot to take to get dinner. Or I thought I had dinner, but it squelched when I touched it. So
0: Take no shame in that. I love going to the supermarket. <laughs> you need to get your bits. You need to pop in and get yeah. your
1: bits. Get get your bits. Um, get but yeah, so bits. that's a bit of an out there one, because I know normally we do fiction. We don't really do like food stuff. But no, if you want I... a really good time learning, talking about food, learning a little bit about food, but mostly just like indulging in ideas about food, An Everlasting Meal by tomorrow. Adler.
0: It's made me really hungry. And Sorry, no, no. I'm gonna go and find some snacks after we finish recording. <laughs> um, again, this might be a bit of an out there comparison, but it, when you were talking, it made me think a lot about crying in H Mart um, yeah. by Michelle Yeohner, um, because even though it's a memoir about grief and um, loss, and you know, immigration and identity it's also about like food and how a relationship can be formed around food and cooking with love like you say and that book made me really hungry as well because of the the precision and the care that she writes about her mother cooking and preparing the food and the line that always stuck out to me was how Michelle's mum always said, you know, Americans stuff themselves and make them sick with, you know, with food. With food, you should consume it with love. Like if you start to feel full stop because, you know, food is there to be enjoyed. Um, And that's also similarly touched upon in um, Memorial by Brian Washington, which is a fiction novel. Yeah. But two of the characters form a relationship because they don't really like each other. They don't really know each other. Their language is very limited to each other, but they form a relationship over food like one cooks for the other in silence but the act of cooking and preparing becomes really intimate and it makes them closer and it just yeah it made me when you were talking there it just made me think of those two books which is a bit of a weird comparison i know but you're right though
1: yeah it's all about kind of the the end the last chapter of an everlasting meal is about how to host a dinner party and it's entirely about how to prep things so that you're with your friends who you've brought over rather than stood stressing in a kitchen, um, which I thought was lovely. And, and yeah, a lot of it is just about enjoying, like she she describes a bit where she's with a friend and they just eat olives out of a big bowl together. And that was like one of her favorite meals she's ever had. And it was just eating some olives because she was with someone that she really, really enjoyed the company of and it was just a good time. So yeah, I think it's the it, it touches on the same kind of lovely, warm, loving notes, yeah.
0: mm, I love that, that's such yeah. a good, right, okay. I'm gonna make a note of that and yes. be sure to put on my list um cool. what's
1: going on my what's going on my reading list
0: what's going on your well it's actually two books that you bought for me for my birthday maybe last year I oh think yes, it was last yes. Year. um brontes pernell who uh so i read his short story collection 100 boyfriends and his short novel since i laid my burden down they've been set on my shelf for a long time and i remember since you- last january <laughs> yes yeah, since last january and i remember you giving them to me and i distinctly remember uh the novel since i laid my burden down it got a bit it was raining that day and it got a little bit wet so the pages went a bit weird on the side it was still but perfectly readable but i always remember like they just were a little bit wavy and um i'd read a few books at the start of january but I thought oh, I just want something short, I want something easy, accessible, and I've heard a lot about uh, Broadhead's Panel. and even though one's a novel and one is a short story collection, they're both very similar, so A Hundred Boyfriends is uh, quite literally uh, like a list of ex-partners, boyfriends, or kind of like labels of, um, you know, different people. I mean, it's it, i presume that the author has just woven himself into these stories because uh, there's a lot of crossover you never really know the name of the author that's speaking a um, hundred
1: boyfriends
0: a hundred um i think it's they're labeled into like categories i didn't actually count if there was exactly a hundred okay i was gonna 100 say 100.
1: that's a level of extroversion that i could not go for <laughs> that yeah. many people
0: that, all at one time Ooh, yeah. no um And the novel, Since I Lay My Burden Down, is about a young man who comes home because his uncle has died, so he's there for the funeral. And then when he's back in, you know, small town Alabama, he reflects on people that he's encountered in his life, lovers, friends, family, um, and kind of just reflects on everything uh, from, you know, sex, heartbreak, drugs, um i kind of see them both in the same sphere like i would never i didn't review them separately i read them together because there was a lot of crossover like i think there's a lot of autobiographical nature in the book um basically writes so unapologetically about uh sex um in really eye-watering detail um but also phrasing phrasing but (laughs) we're doing a lot of phrasing tonight. I'm very proud. But also, you know, specifically sexuality to queer black uh, young people and, you know, through that specific lens. And it's fascinating because he writes in this sort of brazen, this is what it is, you know, I'm going to... Go and see this guy and do this to him, and then he's going to go back to his boyfriend. He might do something with me as well. And then, like, there's a a really funny story where, uh, in the novel, he's walking home and he um bumps into a trans woman and she's on like the street corner just yelling profanities. And she kind of like drags him back for sex and she just passes out before anything can happen. And he kind of goes okay well i'm just gonna go go. yeah (laughs) um but it made me think about kind of you know situations that i've had where i've like you know been on like dates or encounters and it's just gone a bit wrong or you kind of get caught up in the moment and you get lost with you know desire and confusion but also trying to figure out who you are you know uh (laughs) with your sexuality you're trying to like not push it away you're trying to sort of incorporate it into who you are so you feel like you have to go down this road of drugs and orgies and you know very much pushing back against the heteronormative ideals of the world yeah yeah and and sometimes how maybe that doesn't work and also how sometimes things that have happened when you're younger can impact you later on in life um But he doesn't waste any time i don't think he wastes a single second on the page of you know how the characters are feeling and how you know my main takeaway from the books are i feel like he is like a really good gay novelist of like today's times you know mm-hmm. when you think about gay books they're very much encroached in shame uh, yes, it's, yeah. it's you know it's beautiful it's poetic it's a love story but ultimately there's death there's heartbreak you know the characters can't exist happily something yeah, bad yeah. Has to happen because it's of its time or whatever and i feel like this is an indictment of things to come of queer love queer sex queer lives existing happily and oh, that's really nice. being so unapologetic of of being you know yeah, um, yeah totally. we can you know and but not conforming to that love story, that doom love story, sleeping with whoever they want to and having orgies and you know making the wrong decisions, but you're you're still happy doing it. Um it very it just it gives me hope, really, I think I want to say. It just gives me hope. Um and I'm really excited to see what he does next. So thank you for buying me those books. I feel like I've waffled on a little bit. No, um, no, it was, it was lovely.
1: Um, yeah. I do I, I I I need to read them now, obviously. Um, but yeah, no, I, that was really lovely. And you're right. There is Because um, obviously one of the... Uh, rough, almost, I think it might have just been a year ago, actually, or maybe two years ago, when we did our episode about Morris by Ian Forster and the mm. extent to which, you know, he he comes to understand his sexuality as something deeply shameful and something that he has to push mm. away all the time. Um, and the the amount of pain that, 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 heaps on him. And I do think, you know, obviously Morris is, was from a long time ago, but there is a, a real tradition of, of queer literature being more about pain than it is about joy, because, yeah. you know, even when you are expressing your sexuality, even when you're falling in love, there's danger and panic and concealment and a kind of, um, you know, the, the feeling of like, I love this, but I have to hide it. Or, you know, Mm. I want this, but I shouldn't. And so, you know, every, there's a caveat to every feeling. Um, And so the, the idea of, yeah, being able to just, (laughs) is it really lame to call it like kinky stopper? Like, yeah, these people can just be gay and it's no big deal.
0: That's exactly what it is. It's kinky heartstopper. (laughs) Um, But that's exactly it. There's no um, threat. There's no, obstacle to overcome you know when relationships don't work out it's not because you know there's a secret wife or there's you know a danger of being harmed it's more like eh, we i just don't want to fuck anymore and then all this like cool fine move on to the next person and there is just such a joy in that and you know it encourages i think younger people to you know especially young queer people who maybe feel like even though they're queer and they don't you know follow the same path as everyone else they don't have to follow those heteronormative steps of like monogamous relationship and you know house marriage etc you know being polyamorous and open and fluid with sexuality it's just it's allowed to just be in this wonderful sphere of joy and sex and it, yeah it's just wonderful it's really really wonderful so can't recommend uh brontes penal enough i would love to read there's a book that they did it's like something about johnny in the title i, I don't know i can't remember the name is it, of it
1: something along the lines of johnny would you love me if my penis was bigger
0: something like that yeah
1: I, I really hope i haven't misremembered that or it's going to be really embarrassing no, I, no, no no I've no no the word penis into a completely normal toggle i think it's I something think, like that
0: i think you're completely right uh, Or like yeah or if my dick was bigger or something like that yeah, yeah. um well done you got it nearly <laughs> um but yeah i would fully recommend reading them um, and thank you again for buying me well, very very welcome it was a pleasure so on that lovely note readers I think we're going to go and depart and find some more books for you to read well not for you to read for us to read
1: you can read them later once we will read them we'll tell you if they're any good and then you can read them see we're a barrier to you and bad books that should be <laughs> that should be our tagline
0: oh a barrier God. between you and bad books <laughs> <laughs> put it on the poster put it on yep. the poster <laughs> going to go and as do as
1: some more some more social assets later bye <laughs> bye Thank you for listening. Like and subscribe.
0: <laughs> if you like, it's fine. <laughs> we can't do endings. We just can't. <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right.